If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. This morning, I want to give you a compelling vision of what it means to follow Jesus. This passage of Scripture, the background of it is that Jesus has begun his public ministry in a place called Capernaum. Now, the thing is about Capernaum, it is it happens to be the hometown of Peter, James, and John. And Jesus has begun teaching there and healing there and doing a lot of different things that that just began his public ministry. Well, in chapter 5, we come to the place called the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus shows up one day and begins to teach there. If you've got your Bible with me, I want to read a verse here. And in the beginning, it says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret. Now, My sermon this morning has three outlines. Hear the word, obey the word, and apply the word. Jesus taught the word of God. And as he taught the word of God, the people heard the word of God. So what did they hear? Well, there's a couple of verses in chapter 4 that I think give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background to help us understand exactly what they were. Now, look with me. If you pull back a little bit in, verse, in Luke 4.32, previous chapter, and it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, the, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1 actually says, And not as the scribes. The contrast of Jesus' teaching, I guess I need to turn this on, don't I? All right, maybe that'll help a little bit better. Okay, now you can hear me. (laughs) So to contrast the teaching of Jesus with the teachers of his day is that what you have to understand is both of them taught the law. Both of them taught the Old Testament. But the teachers of the law, this is the fundamental principle of their teaching, and that is that righteousness came through the obedience to the law. Now, as the te- when they taught the law, the Ten Commandments, and the book of Deuteronomy, and they taught the Old Testament, what they also did was they encompassed the law, the commandments, with 613 other oral traditions called the Mishnah. And so, For them, what they were conveying to the people was that righteousness came through the obedience to not just the commandments, to all these other oral traditions that they had put around the law. Now, in contrast, Jesus teaches that righteousness comes by faith through the forgiveness of sin. stark difference between these two things. But what I want you to understand is that both taught the law. There's another verse that also gives us a little bit of insight into this contrast between what the scribes and the religious leaders taught and what Jesus taught. It says here in Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus taught he taught, the way he taught the law, it was good news. Now, there's a verse of Scripture that I think helps us put a little context to this even more. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, these two words, the word labor actually means, if you interpret that, it, it actually means being beaten up. The word heavy laden means crushed by life. And the contrast is when the teachers of the law, when they taught that righteousness came through obedience to the law, it was a law that the people of Israel could never have kept, (laughs) it crushed them. It beat them down. As opposed when Jesus taught, listen to what he says. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, when Jesus taught the word of God and the people heard the word of God, it was an invitation. It was an invitation to friendship. It was an invitation to trust. It was an invitation to love. It's as if you had two people and both go and see the Grand Canyon. But one person describes the Grand Canyon by all the signs that are there of what you can and you can't do. On the other hand, the other individual that went and saw the Grand Canyon describes the grandeur and the beauty and the magnificence. And almost that if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know you almost can't come up with words to describe how awesome it is. That was the contrast between the teachers of the law and the the religious leaders of Jesus' day and Jesus as he taught the word of God and as the people heard the word of God. But there's something very, very important about hearing the word. They both taught the law. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You see, the law... Is, are the, is the guardrails. It's the standard of right and wrong. Think of it this way. <laughs> we all travel on I-65. But can you imagine if there was no speed limit on I-65? The speed limit is 70 miles an hour, and I would dare say that most of us in this room don't drive 70 miles an hour. But can you imagine if there was no speed limit? Think of the chaos. Think of the destruction. You see, the law is a standard. It's a standard of morality. We live in a culture of moral relativism. A a moral absolute is a truth that's true for every person at every time and every circumstances. It doesn't change. But in our culture, what we have done is we've done away with moral absolutes. And we replaced it with moral relativism. Moral relative means, moral relativism means that whatever you believe is true and whatever you believe is true, well, if you believe it strong enough, then that must be true. We've done away with absolute truth. See, the, the purpose of hearing the word of God The teaching of the Word of God is to take the guidelines, the standards of morality, 
and let them sink down deep into the very soul and fabric of who you are. Because hearing the word of God is always an invitation. It is an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to friendship. It's not about obeying the law. So that leads me to the second point. You see, as Jesus was teaching, he's teaching on the lake of Gennesaret. Now, I'm going to read verses in this passage of Scripture. Put the passage in Luke chapter 5 back on the screen. And this is in verse 2 through verse 5. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone on out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. Now, What happens is that Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and he's being pressed in by the crowd. And so he sees those boats, and he decides to go over, and just the boat that he gets into is Simon Peter's. So he asked Simon Peter as they got in the boat, and let's push the boat out into the lake. And so the amplification of the water helped the people who stood on the shore to hear what Jesus had to say as he taught God's word. But see, it's not enough just to hear the word of God. Simon Peter is held captive in that boat. And he hears Jesus teaching. But then, as Henry Blackaby says, came a crisis of belief. Because Jesus gave him an instruction. He told him to cast the net on the other side, out there into the deep of the water. The problem with this was, Simon had already been fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything. And they had done the back-breaking work of taking the nets out and then washing them and cleaning them and mending them and drying them out and then packing them up and putting them back in the boat for tomorrow. And what Jesus asked Simon to do was, was crazy. Simon's a professional fisherman. He knew where the fish were. He knew when they ought to be able to catch the fish. And they had already tried everything, and it hadn't worked. But see, what I want you to understand is it's not enough just to hear the word. But then Jesus comes to Simon and says, you have to obey the word. At my word is what the Scripture says. That's what, when, when Peter says, but at your word, I will do what you ask me to do. You see, obedience is an invitation. Just like hearing the word of God is an invitation. Obedience is an invitation as well. It's an, it's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to relationship. I want to read a, a word from a guy named Watchman Nee. He writes in the book, Normal Christianity, a day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion, when we must give all up, all right to ourselves and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. There must be a day when without reservation we surrender everything to him, ourselves, our families, our possessions, our business, and our time. All we are and all we have becomes his. 
to be held henceforth entirely at his disposal. From that day, we are no longer our own masters, but only stewards. See, obedience sounds harsh, hard, if you see that righteousness comes through obedience to the law. But if righteousness comes through faith, through the forgiveness of sin, obedience is an invitation to friendship, to intimacy, to love, to trust. You see, this message that Jesus was teaching that day that Peter heard was a message that had been all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it begins in, in Genesis 15, 6, when, Abraham, when it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This wasn't something new, but it had been lost. See, Jesus comes and he teaches God's word, but then he brings a crisis of belief in Peter's life, and Peter had to make the decision whether or not he was going to obey the word, the living word. Peter could have said, no, you know, it's been a long night. I'm tired. What you're asking is just too much of me. Let's go back to the shore. But he didn't. He did what Jesus asked. He threw the nets on the other side of the boat. And then look what happens. It's in verse 6 and 7. It says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter's But Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Tom and I were talking about this passage of Scripture a couple weeks ago. And I asked him, I said, What do you think broke Peter's heart? Without even hesitating, Tom said, This is kindness. It's kindness. You see, kindness is an invitation. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to love, to trust. Have you ever been around somebody who's really, really, really kind? What do you want to do? You open up your heart to them. Almost without effort. See, that day in the boat, Peter saw himself for who he really was, but Jesus saw past that. Jesus didn't have to point out Peter's sin to him. Peter knew it all too well. But Jesus' invitation after Peter had heard the word and he obeyed the word, then there was this invitation to apply the word, and, and it was through the kindness of the Lord that the word of God, which we had heard and which he had obeyed, began to sink down into the very fabric of his soul. And it began to shake him at the very core of who he was. And he falls on his knees and tells the Lord to get away, for I am a sinful man. We moved to Coleman about three and a half years ago when we bought a house that has a gas fireplace. 
<laughs> and that gas fireplace was just not very efficient. And being the practical person that I am, I, after a year or so, I decided, well, we just need to put a, uh, take the gas out and make it a, a wood fireplace. We've always had a wood fireplace. And Sheila agreed with me, and we did. And so that first winter we had it, I went out and bought a cord of wood, and I stacked it. The problem is, is I stacked it in a place that I thought was real practical. To Sheila, where I stacked it was an eyesore, a little too visible. And she pointed that out to me. But I wasn't going to move a cord of wood, so we used all the wood and let it burn down. So this year, I thought, okay, I'm going to order the wood, but I'm going to stack it in a better place, a place that will make her happy. So I did. Uh, it was a little unstable, but I thought it would be okay. That was on a Friday about three or four weeks ago. Well, I get up on Saturday morning, have my cup of coffee, and walk out to my back porch and look out in my backyard, and I have a cord of wood all around that had just landed on my backyard. I mean, it was full of wood. It had topped over. It had rained in the night, and the ground was soft, and it was already unstable, and so I had a mess. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I handled that real well. But I got frustrated, not at myself, but at my wife. <laughs> in my rational mind, she was the one that had put the fireplace in another place, not me. Because the place that I had chosen was just too visible. So this was really her fault that the firewood had fallen. So I huffed and I puffed and I told Sheila that I was going to go work out and that I would restack the firewood when I returned home. So I did. Went and worked out. Kind of got my frustration. Settled. Came back. Pulled in the, put the car in the garage. Got my gloves and kind of just trudged to the backyard to restack the firewood. Well, as I turned the corner, she'd gone out there and restacked the firewood in a pretty good place. Her kindness cut me to the core of my heart. Now, I didn't go into the house and fall on my knees and tell, tell her, oh, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. <laughs> but, I, but I did ask for forgiveness. And I told her I was sorry. I just didn't have many other words, but I told her I was sorry. But her kindness made me a better man. Made me want to do better. See, Jesus, see Peter that day, see, Jesus saw in Peter what he couldn't see in himself. He looked past his sin. That event transformed Peter's life. So much so that, you see, that event was a foreshadowing of the cross. That event was a picture of what eventually Jesus would show in the ultimate kindness. When 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, He knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That 
kindness that Peter experienced that morning was built off of the fact that he had heard the word and he obeyed the word. But then when he took that experience and he applied it down in the very core of his soul, it began to transform him so much. This is the same man that two and a half years later, he'll preach at Pentecost. That's what kindness does. That's what grace does does. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to love. It's an invitation to heart transformation. You see, when we hear the word, when we obey the word, and we apply the word, we come face to face with the realization of what Christ has done for us. And this is the place that we're Heart and life transformation begins. You see, the beauty of a life that's been transformed by the Word of God is something to behold. This week, Sheila and I got word that a dear friend of ours passed away. You don't know her, but Mary Ann Kring, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever known. When we were in Lubbock, I was on staff there, on Sunday nights, we would have Bible study, smut with a group, and her and her husband, Gail, hardly ever missed. For years, we did that with them. Mary Ann would walk into our house, and her smile would just light up the room. She was just so gracious. She, until she was in her late 60s, she every summer went to camp as a counselor and cook for our student ministry. Every summer she took her two granddaughters on a mission trip and she'd always say, well, I want them to experience Jesus in another culture. I could use her and I could use numerous examples of a life that consistently heard the word, obeyed the word, and was transformed by the word because she applied it to her life. This is a very simple message. But it's at the heart of what it means to follow Christ. If you will do these things consistently, Jesus will change your life in ways that you can't even imagine. He will transform your heart, not through beating you down by trying to make sure that you obey his word. No, through an invitation, an invitation of kindness. It's invitation through grace. A few weeks ago, I was sitting on my back porch, which I do norm a lot, and I, that's where I spend time with God. And I wrote down some things that I just realized I've been doing for a long time. And I shared them with my Sunday school class, but I want to share them with you this morning. These are not profound. 
They're not in anything. I didn't get this as a revelation from on high. I just want to share these with you to hopefully that may help. I think they're going to be on the screen. The first thing that I, that, that, that I want to challenge you with, and that is put away the things in your life that you know that take you away from God. Immediately you know what they are. Just, just, just stop. Just stop. Now, these may not all be bad things, but you know, if you've got something in your life that takes your time, your affection, your emotion, and your energy in an inappropriate way, find balance and put it away. Second thing, find time in your week to spend time in God's Word. The low-hanging fruit is Sunday morning worship, being involved in a Sunday school class. By finding that rhythm, you allow God's Word to seep into your heart through hearing it, through being challenged to obey it, and then finding ways to apply it. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and thoughts and matters of the heart. It's the one thing that will transform your life. But you have to apply it and get it into your heart. There's a third thing. And this one's hard. I'm not saying this is easy, but you, if you can develop this discipline, and that is every week, find 30 minutes that you can sit and be quiet before the Lord. Don't come with your agenda. Ask him what's on his heart. Don't come with all your prayer requests. Just sit and listen. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. Now, there, at first, it will be very quiet. But that's okay. You see, he is worthy of our time. Jesus is king. And I challenge you, find 30 minutes in your week and sit there and see what he has to say to you. And the last thing is, bring a notepad. And see what he says. Write down what he says. Just, just whatever you hear, the whisper of the Holy Spirit, and he may, it may bring, be something out of, the, out of the word of God. It may be something that somebody else has said. Whatever it is, but just write it down. But if he prompts your heart, do it. Just do it. Just like Peter, you may not understand it, you may not, you think maybe it's crazy, but just do it. If you establish this pattern in your life, it'll transform your heart. You will 
See, Jesus sees things in you that you cannot see in yourself. He sees the very best of what you can be. You'll find over time that you'll be a much better husband. You'll find over time that you'll be a much better spouse. You'll find over time you'll be a much better friend, co-worker, boss. Whatever role you play, what you find out is Jesus is king and you're not. Again, we live in an age of moral relativism. The cult, if I, I could stand up here this morning and give you a whole list of ways that our culture has changed so dramatically in the last 10 to 15 years that would, you would say, if I, if I told you this is the way it was going to be 10, 15 years ago, we would all say there was no way. God is calling upon his people to take his word seriously, to walk with him faithfully, and to hear what he has to say. And I promise you that he will send his spirit upon us and to change our land. And he'll change our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. We desperately need you. We don't have our act together. We are broken people in desperate need of your Holy Spirit reigning on us. God, I pray that if there's a heart in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would respond to this sweet invitation that you gave Peter that day to hear you, to obey you, and to just walk with you. But God, for those of us who have walked with you for a long time, Lord, stir in our hearts the embers of your spirit in a way that reignites our passion, our love, our, our confession that Jesus, you're king, and we serve you. God, I pray that in this invitation time that each person in this room at the sound of my voice responds to the sweetness of the invitation of intimacy. And that we would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? You may want to come and join our church. You may want to come and accept Christ. Or you may just want to come and pray at the altar. It's open. However God has spoken to your heart, as he stirred your heart, as he's touched your heart in any way through the power of his word, I pray that you would respond to him as we sing together. Would you join me as Chuck leads? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
pray together as we close with our benediction. Father, give us the strength this week to walk faithfully with you. Father, draw us to your word and let us take your word and apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.